Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. Thank you, Ken. Isn't it awesome that we get to um, be here and just spend time in the presence of the God who created the universe? I think often we come in here and we do enjoy time with God and spend time in his presence but sometimes when I sit and I think about it go the creator of the universe has done something incredible for us so that we can actually come in here and just spend time with him so this morning I get to talk about vision and open up our new series on this pastor Stephen Deborin Queenbian as um, Ben spoke about earlier and send their love I spoke to Pastor Steve um, last week and he said, oh, you're preaching next Sunday night? And I said, yeah, that's right. He goes next Sunday morning. I'm, oh, okay. No problem. But if, if we preach the word of God, then God will bring it in, won't he? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible presence and the incredible price that you paid so that we could be here and spend time with you. We thank you for your word, which shows us so much and guides us in so many ways. We thank you for the plans that you have for us. Lord, I pray that this morning you will fulfill your word, that you will touch people's hearts. Amen. So Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I think often, especially at the beginning of the year, we start having a look and going, all right, what are my plans, what's my vision? But I think it's important to remember God's plans for us and align ourselves with that um, because they're good. That's what he says. When Christy and I first moved here, I think I've shared the story a little bit with some people. Um, we were in Perth. I was running my own business. We had Addison, who would have been three-ish, two-ish, and, um, and so things had sort of picked up a little bit. I had enough clients and I had enough money coming in. Um, Chrissy's family all lived there and we had church family and friends. And um, so we we're sort of settled. And someone called up from Canberra and said, oh, I'd love you to come and do this job with us. And no, thanks, not, not interested. And they'd offered before and I'd sort of, no, I'm not interested. Um, but when this call came, I said, no, thanks. So, you know, everything's going fine here, I don't want to move. Christy was pregnant with Josh as well, so that's not a favourable time to move state. Um, and she didn't know anyone else here, some of my family are here. Um, as we prayed about it, the thought just sort of stuck with me. I don't know if that's happened before, where God's maybe saying something and you don't hear it at first, but it doesn't just, yeah, no, I'm not interested, and then goes away, and it sat there. So we prayed about it again, because that's what we do as Christians. God, what are you saying anything, we obviously the answer is no, but we'll double check anyway. As you know, moving, pregnant, not a good idea. So prayed about it and it still stayed there. So we talked with some people and um, they encouraged us to pray about it, so we did. Um, and the more we talked about it, the more we thought about it, the more we prayed about it, the stronger the impression became. And we became aware that this was God's plan for us. God had something for us here. We didn't know what it was. Um, and he always brought to mind Philippians 4, 7, which says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
So as we're making these plans which don't quite make sense and we're talking, we're talking with Christy's mum, she's like, well, Christy's pregnant, moving at this time is not a good idea. Yeah, um, that's true. So what are you going to do about community and, and church and family and work? Even having a look at the job that I'd been offered, it wasn't enough to pay off a company debt and live in Canberra and stuff. Couldn't make it work. Um, it's, what about that? That doesn't make any sense. Well, that's right, but we're still doing it. We're still moving because God's peace came to us and he said, this is my plan for you. This is where I have something for you and it's going to be good. And because we knew that his plans are good for us, then we had the peace saying, we don't have to understand this because we have God's peace. Um, as we sort of look back, we get a chance to have a look at what God did and go, oh, wow, he had all of that planned out. And we came here, we met community the second or third week. We didn't look around for a whole bunch of churches. We came here and went, I think this is home. Um, and the second week, I think we are in a connect group with lots of young mothers and stuff. God knew what he was doing. Um, the job, I ended up getting a promotion and there was some extra overtime and all these other things happened, which meant we could afford to live here. Um, and we look back and we see God's hand on what he's done because this was his plan. There's an interesting story of God revealing one of his plans in the Bible to a prophet called Balaam. And Balaam was a prophet who lived near where the Israelites would eventually settle. And this sort of happened towards the end of their 40 years going through the wilderness. Um, so I won't go through the whole thing. In short, Balaam's there. There's been warnings in the Bible against him. Uh, he, even though he was a prophet, he used his prophet's, uh, prophecy gift for his own gain. He went through. So the king of Moab came and said, um, Balak was his name. Come and prophesy against the Israelites because I want to destroy them and, you know, prophesy against them. And he said, I can only say what God says and send him away. So the king came back, I'll give you this, I'll give you more. And he said, no, I'm not, not going to do it. Um, Balaam ended up sort of pestering God and asking him again, God, he wants me to go, he's going to offer me a lot. And God said, fine, go. He wasn't pleased with it. Fine, go, but only say what I tell you to say. So... He jumps on his donkey and he goes, um, another interesting story, the donkey sees an angel, stops, Balaam gets angry and beats the donkey and eventually God opens the donkey's mouth because the donkey has stopped because it can see an angel in the way. He starts arguing with his donkey, if I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you. Have I been a bad beast of burden to you, the donkey's saying. So he's obviously not in his right mind to argue with a donkey. Um, maybe he was hallucinating, no, probably not. Um, so Balak takes him up onto a mountain, and the Bible says that he, Balaam can see from this mountain part of the camp of Israel. And so he goes up there, and he prays, and God gives him a word, and he blesses the camp of Israel. And Balak gets angry. I brought you here to curse them. Let's go somewhere else. So they go up to another mountain, and they look over, and they see the whole camp. Well, they see, sorry, part of the camp again. And so he prays, and blesses them again, and Balak gets very angry. All right, I'll take you to a third mountain. So we'll pick this up in Numbers 24, um, verse 1 to 5. Now, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not resort to divination as he did at other times, but he turned his face toward the wilderness. This is where the Israelites were camped. When Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe, the Spirit of God came on him, and he spoke this message. The prophecy of Balaam, son of Buer, 
the prophecy of one who see, whose eye sees clearly, the prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are opened. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob, your dwelling place is Israel. So Balaam continues for the rest of that chapter to sort of bless Israel, talk about how God's going to basically rise up an incredible nation that's going to beat all their enemies, which we know is Jesus because he came and came from Israel. Um, so if you'll humor me for a few minutes, there's a story that is behind what Balaam actually saw when he was up on the mountain there. Um, and it's very interesting because God's plan is revealed to Balaam and suddenly that's why he says his eyes were open and he could see God's plan. So as he comes in and he sees this, um, the Bible doesn't say right there what it was, but there are other bits. So follow along, a little bit of a journey. We're going to go through some of Numbers, uh, Ezekiel's vision that God gave him, and even Revelation. Not much, don't be afraid. <laughs> and um, we'll see what he says. So I'll just read this to you. Numbers 2, verse 1 to 9. If you've read this, you probably won't remember it um, because it's one of those ones you just sort of skim over and go okay the Lord uh, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron the Israelites are to camp around the tent of meetings some distance from it each of them under their standard and holding the banners of their family on the east towards the sunrise the divisions of the camp of Judah are to encamp under their standard the leaders of the people of Judah is Noshin some of Abinadab his numbered division is 74,600. The tribe of Issachar will camp next to him. The leaders of the people of Issachar is Nathaniel, son of Zur. His division numbers 54,400. The tribe of Zebulon will be next. The leader of the people of Zebulon is Elab, son of Helon. His division is 57,400. All the men assigned to the camp of Judah, according to their divisions, number 186,400, and they will set out first. So continues to go through the rest of the chapter, which I will not read for you, um, talking about all the different numbers, and they're all to camp, and this one camps east, and this one camps west, and all of that. And it's tedious to read. Um, but I think there's something quite interesting here that God actually wants to reveal, which we'll get to. But often in our lives, as we're going through things, we've got something going on where camping over here, we've got numbering of these things where drawing schematics at work for something that doesn't seem all that important, where maybe meeting some new people, and all these little bits and pieces, and we go, don't know what this is about. And it's not until we actually get a chance to look back and say, oh, God was doing this. If we know God said, I want you to camp here, east of there, and whatnot, if we know that this is God's plan for us, then we know that we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. So they're all instructed to camp under the standard of their banners. Um, in the middle, we have the Levites and all the tribes that were with them, 22-odd thousand. And then they're all supposed to camp. So Judah is told to camp east. So I've got a dot. Judah can't camp here because that's southeast, or here that's northeast. So only as wide as this bit here, right? And then the next camp, Reuben, camps around the south. Ephraim to the west and Dan to the north. So they're all told to camp in this very specific way and underneath their banners. So 
have a look at these visions just for a minute to have a look at what these banners are actually pointing out because as Ken kindly pointed out, God often speaks in these symbols and visions. Pictures and shadows, these are, let me show you a glimpse of what you're going to see. And these guys were seeing visions of heaven, which is probably something we can't understand, we can't see, can't really perceive. So they get kind of symbols. Here there's this odd one, their faces look like this. Each had four heads, the face of a human being, and on the right side of each had the face of a lion, on the left the face of an ox, each also had the face of an eagle. So we have a similar picture in Revelation, which is um, the Apostle John, again seeing God's prophesying some of the end times of what's going to happen. Um, very confusing a lot of it, but here we have a clear picture. When he saw the throne of God, he sees the same. There was a lion, the second like an ox, third had the face of a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. So these symbols are for us a type of the throne of God. So when we see in the Bible, here's a bunch of strange symbols, an ox, a lion, a man, an eagle, we know that he's actually talking about the throne of God. So when we have a look at the next one, we see they were actually camped with the symbols of each of their tribes. The tribe of Dan, their symbol was an eagle. Tribe of Judah is lion. We would have heard that before. The tribe of Reuben was a man and Ephraim a fox, uh, an ox, sorry. The, um, and all camped, I don't know what a fox would symbolize, all camped around this tabernacle. So here already we have the tabernacle, the resting place of God, right? A picture of God. His, um, his presence was in the tabernacle and all of the elements and all of the symbology in that, um, I don't understand probably half of it, but it's all pointing to this is God, this is a throne of God, this is heaven. This is what he was pointing to. So when um, Balaam looked out and saw, he saw a symbol in the desert of the throne of God. He saw God's kingdom on earth because that's what he wants to do with us. That's his vision all along. That's what Jesus wants to do. That's why he came. He said to his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the throne of God is where the king sits, right? So we're looking at a symbol of the throne of God. Now there's one other bit that I'll bring out. Um, so as we read before, right, we had um, all of the different numbers of all of the different tribes, all of the different things camped in all of this different area. There was, so the, the numbers were the number of the men in the tribe. So there was estimated about one and a half million people in the Israelite camp, camped in the desert for 40 years in this strange pattern until you look at it from above and you can see that the numbers of people who are actually there, if I can make it change, looks like this. So you have 186,000 people camped under the symbol of a lion. You have 150,000 under the symbol of a man, 157 of an eagle, and 108 the ox. And we see the symbol of the cross. So I don't know how big that would have been, kilometers long with one and a half million people spread out across the desert before God even gave the um, law to Moses, before he ever said, look, I want you to do this. The cross wasn't plan B. The cross was plan A, and he had it written. And as he told them, you camp here this wide, this long, you camp next to him, hold this banner, they were part of something, part of one and a half million odd people showing a symbol of God's redemptive plan for us. And that's a picture of what Jesus came to do. When he came um, and he said, 
I am the way, the truth, and... Uh, sorry, let me find the actual reference. I'm John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what he's saying. This is the way that we get to the Father. The cross wasn't the whole thing. That was what removed sin so that we could come and be with God. Um, in Matthew 9, verse 13, Jesus is sitting with some tax collectors and sinners and is eating with them, and the Pharisees start complaining to him. And Jesus says to them, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So here he was quote, quoting one of the other Old Testament prophets, Hosea. Um, and then later on in Matthew 12, verse 7, Jesus says, If you'd known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you wouldn't have condemned the innocent. So we see that the plan that God had was always the cross. Jesus was the sacrifice for sin so that we could actually be shown um, mercy. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And when we look at the symbol here, he was the sacrifice for sin. But in the middle of it, we have the throne of God. In the middle of that, we've got the tabernacle representing God and his presence. In the tabernacle, we have the Ark of the Covenant. And the lid of the Ark of the Covenant is called the mercy seat. The way that we actually access the presence of God is through mercy. So when Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, he was pointing to this again. The sacrifice that he was about to make isn't, isn't the point. The, the cross is incredible. And I don't think we'll ever exhaust how incredible the cross is. But as we look at this, we see God's vision is because he wants to show us mercy, because he wants to have a relationship with us. As we talk about vision, we're often thinking in terms of like a, a mission statement like you do with a um, business thing. Or I'm going to set these goals, I'm going to try and plan this thing. Um, but I think it's more important for us to go, what's God's vision? Because here we see he had a plan from long ago, before Jesus even came, his plan was this, which included us. He had us in mind right from then. And he wants to make us part of his incredible plan. Andy Stanley often says, um, those who devote themselves to themselves at the end of themselves will only have themselves to show for themselves. <laughs> Quite repetitious, but it says something fairly profound in that if we are trying to figure out, God, here's my plan, I'm going to do this, I'm going to set these goals or whatever, and it's outside of what God's actually trying to do for us, we end up just doing it for ourselves. Maybe I'll get a little fitter or I'll eat healthy or I'll save more or whatever. But when we actually find out, God, what's your plan for my life? When we align ourselves with his plan and his vision, then we get to be part of something incredible, something far bigger. There was a line in song, if I can find it. Um, nope. Oh, Mark Hammett. Um, a song called Footprints. There's a line that he says, I see what's ahead of me when I look back. When we look back at what God's done in our lives, we'll get to see this is actually what his plan was. And maybe we're going through tedious little bits and pieces that don't quite make sense. But God's probably doing something just as incredible. He's probably got this small part for you, this small plan, that is part of a much, much bigger whole. 
And because we get to attach ourselves to his vision instead of lining up with our own vision, we get to be part of something the creator of the universe has called us into, which is beyond understanding. In um, Jeremiah 29.11, he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. He says his plans are good, and all we have to do is spend time with him so that he can reveal those plans to us. The last part of the verse says he plans to give us a hope and a future. In the Bible, the hope is, called, is defined as the confident expectation of future good. And that's what God's wanting to give us, is a confident expectation. When we align ourselves with his plan for us, with his vision, we can be confident and expect future good. Because that, what he did on the cross, gave us a future and gives us hope. Um, through scripture, God's constantly revealing his plans to his people, from Adam and Eve to Noah, Moses, the Israelites, to his disciples, to Paul. And he's still revealing them to us today. Sometimes we don't quite understand what, um, what he's doing. But if we know that what he's doing is good, then we have hope and we have a future. And Philippians 4 says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because we're confidently expecting that the plans that he has for us are good, then we get to move into the future with peace. And that's what God gave Christy and I as we were moving here. Um, we didn't know what his plans were for our lives. We didn't know what he was going to do here. But we did know that he was going to give us peace. It didn't matter that we didn't understand it because we had his peace. So I'd like you to stand if you would. And um, we'll just spend a minute and pray. But first I want to ask if you... If you don't know God, if you don't know the incredible creator of the universe who's got incredible plans for us, something so much bigger than we can imagine, then I want to invite you to get to know him. Because we can devote ourselves to ourselves and have so little to show for it. Or we can align ourselves with the plans of the creator of the universe and have something incredible that we get to be a part of. So, on the count of three, would you just raise your hand? One, two, three. If there's anyone here, I'd love to introduce you to him. Because as we know God, we know his incredible plans for us. And we don't struggle to figure out a goal. We don't struggle to figure out what we're going to do, but we actually connect with God. So let's take a minute and pray. Pray that God will reveal to us what his plan is for our lives. And maybe he won't show us the incredible picture that he's painting because probably we can't even understand it. But as we get to connect with him and we get to be part of what he's doing in us, he's going to build something incredible. And maybe he'll just show us, I have this job for you, or I have this move for you, or I have this person for you to get to know. 
And you won't see it until you look back and go, oh, he was painting a cross. Father, we thank you for what you show us in the scriptures. We thank you that your plans are incredible, so much bigger than we can understand. Lord, we thank you that you have a plan for every one of us, something that will shine throughout all time and bring you glory. We thank you for the plan that you had that gave us a chance to come and spend time in your presence, that you would share mercy on us. Lord, we pray that as we move into this next year and we start to have a look at what visions and plans you put in our hearts, that we would be able to see your plan and align ourselves with that. That even the tedious and mundane, maybe the confusing things that are happening in our lives, that we'll know this is part of God's plan for me and I know that I'm part of something bigger. Lord, we pray that you will reveal the next step for us so that we can know. We can know that you're working in our lives to perform something incredible. going to stay here just for a minute. Keep your mind still and just let God speak. Maybe he'll show you just a picture that might not make sense now. Maybe he'll give you a word and as you walk that word will become an encouragement or maybe he'll share a scripture with you and that'll help you as you make your next decision or as you plan what's coming next. Let's not rush past this opportunity to spend some time with him and let him speak to us about what he has for us because he says his plans are good they'll give us a future and a hope pray your blessing over our future over the plans that you give us we know that as we align ourselves with you we get to be part of something incredible thank you Lord Amen Thanks for listening to today's message if you have any prayer needs email prayer at c3monash.org.au or connect with us online